What's going on, quitters? It's another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. You know me, I am your host, comedian Maxim Allen. Today is December 10th, 2022, and Portugal has just been eliminated from the World Cup. Very exciting for Morocco. Good stuff. Sports update instead of weather update today, huh? Pretty good. <laughs> All right, guys, today I am joined by my good friend, the very funny and very talented comedian and graphic designer, Andrea Wang. Yay, this is so exciting. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I, you know, because I keep telling you, <laughs> this uh, podcast has played a very, very big part uh, in my comedy, comedy journey. I really appreciate that. Do you want to tell the listeners? And I will. Me again. <laughs> I will. Are you going to ask me? How? No, you just did. I'll tell you. Okay, so I started before I started doing comedy. I moved here. I moved here for my graphic design job, and, and we'll, I, we'll get into all the details. We'll get into the details the later. But I worked remotely, and I didn't really have that many friends. I wanted new friends, so that's why I started doing comedy. And I started doing here, doing it here. But I didn't know what that world was going to look like, so I Googled it a lot, and. I found Maxim's podcast, Don't Quit Your Day Job, and I listened to a bunch of the episodes where people talked about what it was like to do comedy in the city and what an open mic is and where to go and what to avoid. Um, so I met Maxim through his his expansive platform. <laughs> yeah, it's dope. I couldn't believe it when you told me that the first Absolutely, time. Absolutely, it's true. I'm like, In I know, I'm like completely true. <laughs> this is the fact uh that anybody who is um not someone I already know has heard this podcast. <laughs> it's wild to me. So, glad you can make it full circle. You were technically on this on the 100th episode, but that was like uh two and a half minutes or something like that or 5 minutes. Oh yeah, that was fun. That was I a remember. lot of fun. And this is what number of episode? This is 121. And you've really been plugging away. That's awesome. I really? commend your consistency. Thank you. It's a, it's a marathon. Um, I'm just, you know, figuring it out. And I keep doing it, even though my numbers are, are growing slowly and surely. And I just keep doing it because I figure, uh, like, we'll all die in nuclear hellfire one day. And maybe this or will be serve a record of the what... race war. <laughs> or that. <laughs> So I figure this is like, if anything, this is a record of like a time and a place. So it is what it is. It's, it's fun. Nice. And you've changed things of, you know, it's been an upward tra trajectory. You didn't used to have video. So that's exciting. Yeah. I didn't used to have video. And I used to have video and then it was just a GoPro on my desk. And then we got the studio. And if we ever have to do something different with the studio, the video will go, go back to being a GoPro on my desk. So <laughs> no, it's really cool. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm happy to see it. I too am proud of you in your comedy <laughs> journey. Uh, so let's talk about that. <laughs> so you, when did you, uh, first get exposed to comedy? Do you come from a household that watches comedy or anything like that? No, nothing no? like that at all. But so, I, I can remember the first time I ever saw like stand up and I think I was like five or six mm -hmm. in it was a Sunday afternoon like I was watching TV with my mom and this like program comes on and I think it must have been like like one of those TV programs showcasing like up-and-coming comedians or whatever 
But I guess the fact that it was on at like Sunday at three shows like the quality of the program or the comedians. <laughs> and I remember this woman came up, this young woman, and she was like talking about a first date or something with mm -hmm. her friend. And so she was like, so, so my friend asked me, uh, so how did the date go? Did you guys kiss? Um, yeah, while we were having sex. And then my mom was like, turn that off. What is that? <laughs> and I remember like thinking, what is this? Yeah. Like, who is she talking to? Like, I could tell this was like a specific genre of like media or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't know what it meant. But because my mom reacted that way, I knew it was a bad thing. And it was very <laughs> dirty. And that that was my first exposure to comedy ever. Wow. Which was kind of like a mm -hmm. Sunday afternoon TV comedian. Wow. It was, it was dirty. It planted the seed. No, not really. To be honest, if I could be on TV Sunday at three, I'd be thrilled. That'd be crazy. I don't know who that woman was <laughs> and where she is now, but that was, I guess, 10, 20 years ago. Do you think you could recognize her if you saw her no. again? No. I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. What if you heard that exact same joke? I you... could pick it up. Nice. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We'll use an AI to uh, yes, cross reference right. all the recorded media in the universe. Gosh. Yeah. So if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Definitely hit us me. up. So, uh, do you get into con do you end up watching stand like stand up at all in like middle school, high school at all? Like, yes. Yeah, so in middle school, I had like my really close childhood friend Taylor Davis, and I would go to her house all the time, like after school. And she was really into a couple people that she'd always send me clips of, like Bo Burnham. She mm -hmm. loved. John Mulaney she would always I would always get these bits like secondhand from her because we'd be like driving around or taking the school bus and she'd be like quoting these bits like she <laughs> like the the what's that bit the, the 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 jukebox diner bit where he's like always playing the same song at the at the jukebox and it drives everyone nuts I can't remember but. She loved quoting that. So it's like certain bits I didn't even see the original bit until like 20 times through, like filtered through like Taylor Davis. Taylor and Davis then, is a hack. And you a joke stop. <laughs> I'm going to send this to you. <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> she lives in Philadelphia. Okay. So you are getting secondhand bits through your dealer. Yeah, um, through my bit dealer. That was a big influence. Do you start me. like, does she tell you where she watches it and you're starting to you find it or? I think just through YouTube. It was oh, just like right. a lot of YouTube clips. Oh, you know what else I really liked? Those like, uh, like YouTube sketches when from the beginning of YouTube, like Ryan Higa. Okay. And he would make like um like the ipod human do you remember what i'm talking about that name sounds so familiar oh my gosh no, no no it's um i guess i grew up with a lot of asian american kids and they love this kind of stuff like mm. the ipod human what else are you? the big bouncing inflatable green ball god mm. it's a class it's the same era from like the annoying orange and fred do you remember fred god, I remember we'd go fred. home and we'd like watch fred we'd watch ryan <laughs> videos i was like i was in like the middle of high school when Fred came out. And so we were all like, fuck this guy. We're not watching this. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay. So you're like four years. Maybe you're like. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm three years old. Something like that. Four. Yeah. But, Fred yeah. just like hit when we needed him the most. You know, <laughs> Fred, probably Ryan Higa stuff. Um, there was a big like subculture of like Asian American YouTube humor ske sketches mm -hmm. that kind of caught the wave of 
like when that platform was just coming out and people were trying to figure out like how to make it their own and figure out what content did really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just watching like like Charlie the Unicorn. Yeah, stuff like just that. Just stand-up, stand-up. I never got into like uh, YouTube sketch people back in the day, mm-hmm. except for like College Humor. They were, that was the shit I watched oh, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But, so you're watching that? Yeah, probably just like those YouTube sketches. Honestly, big. Mm-hmm influence what else and then as a kid i would watch those like half hour nbc sitcom things a lot like a lot of times they were like back to back so it would be like like the office 30 rock these kind of things i would watch those a lot when do you start actually watching like real stand-up i think i probably just saw like some people's netflix specials Mm -hmm. like just the really big name you know i wasn't like super plugged into the the culture yeah of it other than just like what the you the youtube algorithm Mm -hmm. put to the top um but i remember um this is very corny and expected but i remember seeing the ali wong special Mm. and she had like just a riff in the beginning where she was like yeah, it, it was in San Francisco, and she was like, "Thanks for all these Asian women coming to my show and bringing their white boyfriends." And at the time, that was like, I was in college, and I was like, reading about like you know racialized whatever mm-hmm. social dynamics, and I was like, "Hi, I feel seen." You know, <laughs> I uh, we went to see Ronnie Chang uh, in yes. the Upper West Side last year, and I remember going in there with Lee, and I was like, "Wow, a lot of white guys love Ronnie Chang." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that uh, that first Ali Wong special is like ten out of ten. So good. Yeah, I was like, yeah. this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, she's really good. It was really good. So when does uh, the idea of doing comedy yourself kind of formulate? Did you ever know anyone who did stand up or like improv or anything like that? No. No. I. Um. Well, I grew up in a family of all like science STEM people, mm. and then I grew up in like a environment where there was a lot of pressure to be like make a lot of money and do a job that people understand like I didn't grow up with like creative role models or anything Mm -hmm. so I grew up hearing like like if you are gonna go to art school you're gonna live in a box and die and I thought it was true because I didn't know anyone who was doing anything else did Um, you live in a box after art school no, but I live in a basement now. And it has a small window. That's New York, baby. Yeah. I I think I'd always thank you. I I'd always been like told as a kid like like oh, you're funny. It was just like a coping mm-hmm. mechanism thing that I had have now still. Yeah. Um, but then in high school, my senior year, I took this class that I really loved mm-hmm. with um my my teacher Douglas James and it's like it was like a humor writing class mm-hmm. and so we just watched a bunch of like Woody Allen movies and Steve Martin mm. and then we would like write responses to the Woody Allen stuff anyway it was really fun and then he kind of made a comment at the end like oh you should you should try doing stand up um which was really meaningful to me mhm Cause no one had ever said that to me before, and I still didn't know anything about how that worked. But it was cool that he believed in me. Yeah, that was and cool. And maybe it needed to come from like an older white man. 
in order for me to <laughs> feel that way. Also, that's a dangerous seed to plant in a high schooler. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's cool, though. So you, you do humor writing. You remember writing Defenses of Woody Allen. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I wrote. That was in 2015. <laughs> we didn't know any better. No, there was some really good writing. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you, and then you went to you went to art school. No, I I went to Oberlin and I studied econ because I wasn't sure to the what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah. did you did you graduate with an econ degree? That's right. Dude, this whole time I thought like Andrea totally went to art school. Like, no. <laughs> my former econ professor was just on Jeopardy. Whoa! Last week, and he won. That's awesome. Yeah, but also econ, uh, you don't strike me as that. That is like a such a surprise for you to say. I didn't know. <laughs> We're getting your genuine, genuine, unfiltered reactions yeah. in real time. Yeah, I was like, I thought Oberlin was like a some type of. Like every time you share an Oberlin story with our friends, I'm like, oh, that's some, that's definitely just like a hippie art it is. school. It is a hippie like school, like, like in the, during the summer, this is something I like to say, or during, during the warmer months, you'll see people like on the way to class, like barefoot walking to class, roller skating to class. The worst is the unicyclist. God, it's <laughs> when they, they take up the whole lane. <laughs> Look at me, everybody. I'm on a unicycle. Um, but it's, econ was, it was very theoretical. So it wasn't like business or like the right. stock market or anything. Mm -hmm. It was like academic research. So one summer I helped my professor do research on, um, he studies like development economics in like South America specifically. So his his paper was about like how, um, what is the relationship between like mangrove coverage on the coast of Brazil and like agricultural production? Mm. The idea being that the mangroves would like buffer the country from like tropical storms. Yeah. So that whole summer I kind of just um, cleaned data sets in Excel. Nice, love Excel. It was kind of, it was really like meditative because you start with like 20 different data sets with different columns and different tabs and the goal was mm -hmm. eventually all of them would be in one big file. Like that was what I did all summer. Mm -hmm. And shortly after the summer happened, he was like, oh, by the way, I don't think that there's, like my theory doesn't hold enough weight, so I'm not doing this paper anymore. <laughs> yeah. But it's very theoretical. Yeah. So I don't know how money works, really. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of cool, though. I feel like that's what my first job out of college was, was just like compiling data in Excel in like large numbers. Like, OK, we have, you know, 50,000 plus like call like data points each in like 20 different sheets. Put it all together. Make some nice graphs. Yeah, we did the that's same the major, basically. I listened to so many podcasts using Microsoft Excel. I can't read words listening to podcasts, but numbers and cells all day. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I would just, I'd just be pure Zen, silence, crickets, me and <laughs> what? The, the spreadsheet. No music? No music. Damn, that's hardcore. So you're in college. You are not doing art, which I thought you did. I did stuff on the side, yeah. Did stuff on the side. Did you, did you try any comedy stuff around this time, or are you just doing No, because thing? it wasn't really... Because it wasn't a college town. The closest town was, uh, the closest city was Cleveland, which mm -hmm. you had to drive to. And um, I think 
there was a big improv scene there. And I just met a couple people who did improv, maybe my freshman year, and I thought like, these people are so loud. I don't yeah. like them, whatever. <laughs> I was also insecure mm -hmm. about like myself at the time. Like my ability to be confident mm -hmm. was very low, so it was, I didn't. I just didn't see myself there. I actually did like one improv like jam. That was kind of, it was something. Mm -hmm. And there was like a little bit of a stand-up scene, but it was kind of like, it felt like to me a group of friends who kind of already knew each other and they were like went to someone's apartment or something. Mm. So it's not something I really knew about. Right, right. So when does, so you, so you moved to New York. When does the idea, or why did you move to New York? Let me start with that. I moved for my job. You moved for your job. Yes, my graphic design job. Which, how did you get with an econ degree? Oh, I just, like, during the <laughs> pandemic, like, worked on my portfolio a lot. Because that's mm. the, they don't really care if you have a degree necessarily. It's more like if you can show the work. So I freelanced a lot. It wasn't that, it was okay. just a big grind, yeah. I freelanced, I did, you just pick up any kind of projects you can, like, build up your work. Mm. Uh, LinkedIn. I have a lot of connections on LinkedIn. Nice. Add me on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, so you moved to New York for your graphic design job, and this is after the pandemic, or like sometime 2021? Or... Yes, in May 2021. Okay. And then how do you decide that you want to maybe try comedy? I think it's because I, I just didn't have an opportunity to before. But here was like a city where you had the opportunities to do it, and I could get around on a train and stuff mm -hmm. and my job was just my job and it was not fulfilling me creatively in the way that I thought it might mm -hmm. and like I mentioned before it was remote so I didn't have like a built-in community at my job which I'm really right. glad for because yeah. I wouldn't want to fall into like by default just you know, having my default job friends. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's a dangerous trap. Yeah. But I, I, I love the people I work with. They're all great. Mm -hmm. It's it's just that we weren't physically in the same place. Right, right. And I'd always wanted to try it. I think, like, it started, I started sort of thinking, maybe I watched people do clips of stand-up that was, like, okay. And I mm -hmm. remember thinking, like, oh, I could do that. And then there's this other voice that's like, well, you're not doing it, so you don't have the right to say that. You don't <laughs> actually try. Yeah, I feel like that's the voice, that's the reason that most people start. Like, I remember watching stand-up specials and being like, I could do better than that. <laughs> no, the answer is no. Yeah. Well, like, it's <laughs> funny because some of them, some I was right, like, sometimes, and the other times I was like, oh, yeah. I actually was wrong. This is yeah. hard. <laughs> it's it is really hard but also when you go to your first open mic you're like okay so everyone is a little bad at this if not very bad at this it's kind of encouraging yeah my first open mic was at the cellar 77 mm -hmm. which is now defunct oh okay so before this so you decide you want to try it is this when I meet you outside two virgins did you had you already done an open mic before that moment no no okay so so for uh, the listeners, so my my show or my weekly show that I used to do with David Dobbins, Two Virgins, 
we were handing out flyers and we were barking at people trying to get them to come into the show. And Andrea was one of the people I handed a flyer to. And you were actually like, gen- like barking is so discouraging I know. that when you actually get someone who's like asking questions and actually curious, it's like, okay, what, <laughs> what's wrong with I you? Know. All right, go in. What happened? It was like in the fall. Mm-hmm. Going into winter. Yeah, fall of 2021 and I was like okay well I if if I'm gonna try to do this I need to gather as much information as possible so I somehow found like that New York indoor outdoor comedy Facebook Mm -hmm. group and then I would you know see like the types of posts people made like advertising open mics advertising shows they would be like sign up lists and you could see people's names so I would like search their names Mm -hmm. to see do they have clips? Like, what kind of people are these? Like, do they have jobs? Like, are they professional people? Like, what do they talk about? Because mm-hmm. I just had no idea what it was going to be, and I was very scared. I think that's how I found your podcast. Yeah. By, like, Googling the names in that group. Okay. And then I went on, like, Reddit a lot. Ugh, horrible, scary people who are... Uh, not scary. It's 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 a really interesting stand-up reddit community our slash stand-up is a cesspool yeah something like that it's my it's my favorite place to feel good about myself Mm. (laughs) uh because people people just be asking the dumbest questions and posting the worst clips and it's good it's a good time (laughs) yeah that was interesting but it was interesting to read people's like little q a's and stuff Mm mm-hmm what else happened? Oh, you know what? Then I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I should just go and see a show because I'd never seen a stand-up show mm-hmm. in person, which was very helpful because it's so different on YouTube than like in a live medium, yeah. right? Because the YouTube stuff, it feels more scripted and it is more like a monologue or whatever. And then the live stuff, you're reacting to, to things that are happening or you're riffing on what happened before. And then the just the energy in the room, that kind of intangible thread or whatever... It is something that you can't pick up on if you're just watching right. a video. So I went yeah. to, I think I Googled on Eventbrite, comedy show. And I took my friend, Adam Cooper, to mm-hmm. like a Broadway comedy club, one of those weekend shows. Mm-hmm. Because that's like the first thing that pops up. Right, right. Um, I'm trying to remember. Jocelyn Shaw was on the show. Mm-hmm. So that was one show. Um, and th- was this before you went to Two Virgins? Yes. And okay. then this is the full story of Two Virgins that I never talked about with you. Okay. But then on Eventbrite, I Googled like comedy show. There was a show in my area, in the East Village, your show. Mm. And I remember thinking, maybe I'll check that one out. And then I went to that direction. Then I saw you on the street. Whoa. Nice. So your advertising got it did work. a person. Yeah. There were honestly during like, August, September, running that show, there were days where we could bark like 15 people in. Cause it's just really good. It's just like people who have moved to the city for school, but like they don't know what to do. So they're just kind of walking around with their friends. Yeah. So we had a lot of people, but it works sometimes. I saw your show. And I think that one was different because I remember thinking, like, oh, I. I identify with these people. You're like, I could do this. These guys suck. No, I didn't think that. <laughs> I thought like they seem cool and I can see myself hanging out with them. Because mm-hmm. the other show was like a different, you know. Yeah, I mean like the difference between like a club where you are 
in as an audience member in a dark area as like faceless audience members versus like a intimate yeah. bar show where everyone is kind of in the line of fire and like yes people, and I, yeah. yeah and i sort of thought like oh these guys are like they're kind of like they're kind of like my age and they're just having fun and mm-hmm. they're following their dream and i i want to i want to be there with them do you remember who was on that one yes i do remember who was it um I think Julia and John were on it. Oh, nice. Okay. And I don't remember who the the headliner was, but he kind of sat in the corner and then was reading off of his phone. Oh, was he like, was he like really aggressive? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I remember thinking like, oh, you can do that too. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) You can be bad. You can be bad and mean. No. We had some people who were, uh, ooh, nightmare guests. Let me see. I still have the flyers so I can It was in October. You don't have to read. (laughs) It's not. Okay. It was in October. There was a good amount of people there too. Oh, yeah, dude. This is Christiana Jackson, Patricia, Adam Hamada. Oh, yes. John, Julia. Patricia Patricia was uh, there. Yeah, Jamar neighbors. Nice. No, you went a... to the you went to the nightmare show. I didn't think it was a nightmare. I thought it was a lot of fun yeah, for the most part until we got to the end. Well, it was fun. <laughs> I had fun. That's a good. That's a good mix. Oh no, no, never mind. And then okay. Oh, what was it? I was gonna say that's the one that uh, Christiana roasted you at, but that was a later. No, no, no. That show. was yeah. well into. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then I went to check out an open mic. Right, right. Just to watch it. Okay. And which one did you, did you go to Cellar 77 for that one to watch? No, or a one? I went to the Lantern Comedy Shop. Okay. And D, Dr. D, mm-hmm. she was hosting like a women and LGBT priority mic. Yeah. And same kind of feeling. I was like, oh, everyone seems really cool. I think Alex Kim was there. Mm-hmm. Um. And everyone was very friendly and supportive. And so I thought, okay, it's not so bad. I can do this. Nice. So And when, I listened to your podcast. <laughs> so when you decide you can do this, so do you set a deadline? Like I'm going to perform at an open mic next week? Or how did you set up? Did you start writing jokes? Did you have a backlog of jokes you were working on? A little or? bit, yeah. Okay. I did have like a little notebook. And I like wrote a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I kind of read off of my my piece of paper. Cause I was very nervous. Cause some people, I I wish I was that confident, but I've seen people do their like first time, and they're kind of like just like, oh, let me tell you a story, or like, you know, mm-hmm. this is a crazy thing that happened to me. Um, but I was so like in my head about it, and so nervous, like that I prepared for like many months. I think just thinking about what what should I say? Like, you know, I have to. You know, I was wow. very I was frightened. It was, there was just fear. There was, mm-hmm. there was only fear. Um, I still have my first set list or whatever. But it was at the the Cellar 77. And I think I thought that it was going to be... I thought there was going to be a women LGBT priority mic. Mm-hmm. I just got confused by the postings. And I showed up and it was all dudes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so I was very scared. Yeah. I mean, they were all nice. They were mm-hmm. really nice. It went fine. And it was like well attended. It wasn't like one of those mics at like the Grizzly Pair or something where there's like two people and no one's mm-hmm. paying attention. People were like attentive. And I think people are nice when when you say that you're just starting out. Mm-hmm. That's my 
that's my recommendation to anyone who wants to try it is like your first time doing stand-up just tell them just say to the audience just it'll make it a little bit easier and then you at least have gone yeah. up on stage yeah exactly no it was it went really it just went fine you yeah. know people were paying attention which i think is like any laughs or yeah nice yeah do you have any do you remember any of the jokes no. you did from that one no <laughs> <laughs> you definitely remember you just don't want to say them no maybe i don't remember exactly i don't think i use any of them though is a thing mm. so I, I remember when i had you on the 100th episode of the podcast you said uh that when you started comedy you were you were not copying people but you were doing something called rote learning is that the right word is um, that the right expression yeah like in terms of learning how to do like learning structure like a joke mm -hmm. um i think it just helped me to like take down a lot of other people's set like i would just trans get there's websites where you can get transcriptions of like these stand-up sets mm -hmm. and i would like print them out and like highlight what the you know what the punchline is and you know why it's funny or whatever and mm -hmm. then i read all these books about um joke laughter triggers you went like very academic with it i think it's because it's just the way that i like, knew how to learn stuff mm -hmm. which is like study a lot of it because i think in the beginning like it's you can like spend a lot of time or like waste a lot of time trying to figure out what other people have already figured out mm -hmm. and if you just like learn the basic structure i think that'll get you to a good place where then you could start playing with it but then like having the fundamentals i think is really helpful yeah and i also am like i tend to over prepare because of a just just fear <laughs> yeah it pays off though just a lot of fear yeah it's it's um it's okay. Yeah, it's how I learned how to draw, like play music. Like I remember just um like as a kid I'd go to these art classes every week and it was a very Chinese style of drawing. It was at a Chinese school and we'd just have like a picture, like a pencil drawing, and then you'd copy the pencil drawing and then you finish that and you just do another one. And then you gradually like get more complex drawings. Like you start out doing like a sphere or a cube mm -hmm. and then like you maybe get like a teapot and then maybe you graduate to like a face and but it was all very much like just replicate this thing. Well, yeah. So I think there's value in copying, and also I've seen other people do this. I haven't really done this, but like, if there's a set you really like, like just trying to practice replicating it yourself, and then you notice certain things that you wouldn't have noticed. I just realized that I have never learned anything by copying, like <laughs> intentionally. Like, I don't think I've ever, like, done an exercise like that. Like, what you're saying about printing off, like, the transcript of jokes, in my head now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds like actually a really good way to, like, come up with some basic shapes for jokes, like, premise punchline, like, how to combine elements and stuff like that. Like, it makes a lot of sense. I just winged it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to. I think that's cool. Like, I just okay. didn't have the confidence to do that. Oh, it so hurt. <laughs> it hurt for a while. No, I think that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think being overprepared is impressive, especially with something that's stand up. Because to me, stand up feels so like ambiguous and cloudy and like amorphous that like actually taking specific steps to like 
get better at it that is not just being on stage is very interesting to me. Yeah, I think like um Yeah, I think it comes back down to the way I learned creative or artistic stuff as a kid, like even mm-hmm. with learning the violin or whatever, which I was very bad at too. But it's kind of about it's kind of comes down to this idea of like targeted practice mm-hmm. where where you can practice like six uh, six hours a day, but if you're not like identifying your specific weaknesses, it's not going to be the product. Like the time spent is only a factor. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if you play the same piece, but you only uh, practice the parts that you are comfortable with, it's not uh, really moving you forward. And right. so, so the idea is, and you just drill, and this is how like you have these like ten year old violin prodigies is that they get drilled on their weaknesses like if there's a specific measure or passage that you you miss or even just like one note you can't reach you would just drill that over and over and over until you can like go through the whole yeah passage um that makes sense so i think that that approach has helped me a lot though mm-hmm. like with learning creative stuff because i think when people talk about creativity there's this idea that it's so, you know, it's expressing yourself and it's coming from your heart or whatever, but you have to know like a baseline of the the craft or the technical skills to sort of get to a point where you can more successfully express, you know, your mm-hmm. feelings. I disagree. Okay. Cool. I'm deep in the Dunning-Kruger <laughs> effect, all right? <laughs> I think it's all from the heart. You don't know how, you don't have to know how good or bad you are at something in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Just do it. It's all amazing. <laughs> yeah, because also for me, like, I don't know how to have fun. Like, like I'm not good at having just, like, fun. Yikes. So my, yep, exactly. So in my brain, I'm like, I have to get better. So that's why. Mm. But it's like, that's just my thing, you know. But that's how I learned, like, how to do design, too. Yeah. It's like just copying people's stuff and um like sometimes just replicating a design that I liked to mm-hmm. just see how it worked. Yeah, yeah. And then you notice things that you wouldn't have noticed if you just glanced at it kind of. So, I noticed that when you started comedy, uh you were definitely good at like the joke structure and stuff. Like that was a definitely a strong point of yours. What were some things that like you identified that you really wanted to work on? What were some areas that um, you were lacking? Yeah, so so stuff like if you're copying just other people's written stuff, like it's gonna help you write a joke, but it, it like that's so different from like being physically in front of people, right? Right. So so it's not everything, but it's it's been fun to like it's been fun to like try to react more authentically to how you feel or how other people feel. Mm-hmm. Like even when I saw people say stuff like, like if they had a comment that a joke that didn't go well, they would be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Something yeah. stupid like that. Just seeing how people would, you know, just don't, don't blow past the way that the the emotions that like come up inside you or like, like how you sense everyone else's feeling and just acknowledging that mm-hmm. keeps you in the same headspace and just developing like a reflex to do that mm-hmm. is, is fun. Cause that way, even if you, your written jokes are not doing well, you can just be like, well, we were here together and we had fun. Um, that's my whole, that's what carries me through this game. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to have fun. I think, um, 
just remembering how to god that makes me sound like a dull person just trying to remind myself that I have to be having fun. Otherwise, why am I doing this? I'm not getting paid, really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do this if you're not going to enjoy yourself mm-hmm. and make a connection with somebody? So what is, the, what is the stage fear in you about? What are you afraid of? Or what were you afraid of? Was it just like bombing or was it like something else? Uh, there was just a lot of uncertainty in the beginning, too. Mm-hmm of just figuring out how the whole thing worked. Um, the idea that I, like, I won't have friends if I'm not good. That's valid. <laughs> yeah, everyone feels that way, right? Yeah, I think, uh, I've definitely talked about this before, but like, if I meet someone at a mic or something, I will try to not talk to them until I know what their set is like because I think that tells so much more about who they are as a person than how they are conversationally yeah so yeah you gotta like and so everyone bombs but you can tell when someone bombs and you're like oh they have like a good direction for this and like they're wor- like you can tell they're working on or figuring something out versus someone is bombing because you're like oh no they just have bad opinions and bad thoughts you yes know? yes like the intel opinions and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think in the beginning I sort of thought like, if I do better, then I'll have more friends, which is not exactly true. It's more like, as long as you're not like being just a, like a really mean and offensive person, then people, you know, pick up on just who you are, mm-hmm. like how you react to things and how you handle different situations. I mean, who you are as a person is more than just what you're saying up there. But it's hard for something like this because ultimately the goal of having a good stand-up set is like capturing your the essence of your personality and like the way that you think, like that would be the goal. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to separate those two things sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. So you're like you're are you you're like working on being more expressive in your comedy. Is that something that's true or Working on being more expressive. I think I want to say things that are more like authentic to myself. Yeah. Right, right. Because um, in the very beginning, you have more of a scarcity mindset. You're like, I just want to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And then I would say things that, you know, I had certain jokes I relied on for the first like week or two. And then I was like, I don't actually like, you know, saying this the way it makes me feel, even though these like incels like it. I don't, it doesn't mean I have to say it. Uh, I just want to say a week or two and getting over it early on is pretty impressive. Some people hang on to jokes they don't like for years. Well, I mean, in the first week I started, and then I would still, you know, I'm still trying to kind of uncouple myself from that urge. Because then in the end, like, okay, maybe you have a set that goes really well that people are laughing during, but like, what about after? Like, what, you know, what has come of that, you know? So like the most interesting or meaningful shows or whatever I've done is when I say something that's true about myself and it's reflective of like something I've been thinking about a lot or something like an approach that's authentic to me and then someone comes up to me after and they're like oh I really related to what you were saying like if I just did like I did like a lot of font crowd work at these like empty Mm -hmm. bar shows and then people come up to me after like oh I'm a publisher or like I work you know I'm a UX designer and I really appreciate what you're saying and 
you know, just talk about fonts or something. And that feels good because like after like just the confines of that performance, then you feel like you've actually made a meaningful connection with right. someone. Who was it? I had someone on here in like the last few episodes, I can't remember, but they said the audience wanted to wants to be related to. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not like you the comedian are trying to get the audience to relate to you, but sometimes it's about like you relating to them. Like they want to see themselves their thoughts and appealing and their thoughts and feelings represented in your material. So it's like sometimes you strike gold where it's like you talk about something that just hits right for some people. I think the best one of the the example that comes to mind right away for me is I think one of the most spot on pieces of crowd work I've ever done was there was a guy in a kilt at one of uh, one of this tiny cupboard show I did. And he was like sitting alone. And I just asked him like, you, sir, what's your favorite board game? And he had an answer like that. And I was like, I know it when I see it, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really funny. And you probably appreciated like being seen or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um and I I agree. It's that's sort of what was driving me to do this whole thing in the first place, which is like connecting with people and meeting different you know, talking to strangers I think is fun. It's exciting. It's I I'm really thankful and grateful mm -hmm. that I even get to do something so self-indulgent and silly. Yeah. Um, but I've always been interested in like, yeah, talking, talking to people, meeting different. I also think you're people. one of the people uh, I've never heard many, many people talk about the friendship aspect of comedy. You seem very fixated on the friendship aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. So I had my, my little check, my little milestones that, I wanted to achieve when I first started. I was like, do a show maybe, or do this many open mics. That's what I said. I was like, okay, in the first six months, I'm gonna do a hundred open mics. Cause it's kind of seemed kind of a vague mm -hmm. um, number, but it was enough to give me structure. But on the top of the list, I said, make friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you guys are like the first friends that I made. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, it did. I mean, it was pretty easy. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> if you think about it that the, the the second comedy thing you went to, you just like made friends. <laughs> I didn't make friends with you, just not right way. away. Yeah. But you came back. You came back to the show enough that it was like I did come back to the show. A lot. Like, all right, yeah, yeah. I guess we're friends. They'll be like, "What are you doing Tuesday night?" Oh, two virgins. <laughs> the two virgins show. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think uh, I always, I never, I didn't start comedy with the intent of making friends. It kind of came secondary because I couldn't really comprehend when I started. I couldn't comprehend what a comedy scene would be like. Yes. I think more so making, more than making friends, but like being part of a creative community. Yeah. That's like that a mind like blower for me. Yeah. I almost feel like I'm, I might be more addicted to being part of a creative community than I am to comedy itself yes because i think a lot of people have friends but they don't have a community which is like you know that means you can there's certain places where you know you can like show up and then see someone you know or there's like you know you're always gonna have a reason to go to a certain place like these are the things i wanted ultimately like yeah. meaning meaning in my life yeah like there was like certain things i repeated to myself when I was like starting out and I was so nervous and uncertain, but I was like, it's, you know, this is, 
the price that you have to pay for the life that you want. And this is just going to like... The price you pay is going to Seller 77. Yes. And I went there like all the time. Like that yeah. was the place I went to the most. I didn't know about other places. It's okay though. It's good. And what else? I was like, this, you know, I, I was like telling myself like this is meaningful because you're going to have a reason to go to a specific place. Like right. these kinds of things. Like, you know, people it's really overwhelming being in the city and people like make meaning out of it in different ways. It's, it's wild for me, like with the comedy scene, especially here. Cause it's like, I feel like I know more parts of the city than the average person who just moves here for work or whatever, just because we're always like going to like shows and mics. And yeah. Stuff. And you have like a reason to go there. It's right. not just like, let's just check out a bar. Like you have a connection. Like, you know, yeah. the person who, runs a venue and you know a little bit more about the history of these places and you see how they change over time like it always was important for me to have a, a sense of connection to mm -hmm. like place and through for, like these venues or for me also i feel like this is the first time that i've been a part of just a like co-ed community where people are just like working on stuff and it's normal to talk to other people like that's funny oh because you're an engineer yeah I'm, like, well, it's like a kind of co-ed community kind of but it's like i'd say uh different like stand-up as a whole mostly mostly just dudes right but i think within like the community of like cliques and friend groups the individual friend groups a lot of them can be like shifted one way yeah, it's yeah, who you yeah. surround yourself with but that's really funny yeah like my engineering school was like really tight like yeah. it was small and I had like a, like good friends going through it and we were all working on something that same sense of community was very strong. Then when I graduated and got to my job, I was like, yo, like I just work 40 hours and then just go home and like, what is any of this? Yeah. And like comedy is such a unique thing. Like I wish there was other, other skills and stuff that you could do that create this type of community. Like do yoga instructors go through this? Do they like know each other? Like, do CrossFit people all know each other? Well, like, there's a lot of gym fitness communities, I think. Yeah, I'd yeah. say the strongest community I have seen so far is clearly running clubs, uh, and I yes. say that only because of Diane's Instagram <laughs> stories. <laughs> but I'm like, now when people move, she's to a great audience member, very supportive, best audience member, and. I don't know. I feel like every time someone moves to the city and they're not a comedian, they're like, "What should I do to make friends?" I'm like, "Running club, just join a running club." Yeah. I'm trying to think of other because I feel like also uh, like there, there's definitely some types of communities I'm for like fashion photography other types of creative stuff but it feels like those are things that are accessible to everybody so your community is just whatever friends you have that do that thing too instead of like a reason to connect with people outside your normal reach um what what do you mean because you are doing shows for other people that you yeah i feel like there's also like a strong you know like music people who do music and shows that's a big thing yeah music definitely like like i'm thinking like the closest thing to comedy the comedy scene might be like the punk scene something like the diy you yeah know, indie whatever bands diy music scene maybe yeah but but that's what i like about comedy is like you have people who do it for different reasons and it's like a way to meet like different kinds of people like that was my romantic idea going in i was like oh my god i'm gonna 
like be able to interface with all different walks of life, sharing their unique life experiences, like wow. young and old and and people, you know, who, you know, come from different places in the world. And it's a lot of loud guys, but um, there's a little bit of that. When I started, I was surprised that like old people do it. <laughs> I want because I'm more like, interested in yeah. I was like, yo, just everybody does this. Like, I wasn't even. Oh, really? I had no. I didn't go in expecting to meet anybody. I was just like, I need to do stand up. Like, yeah. No, for me, it was yeah. always about like who I'm gonna meet and who these people are gonna be. Nice. I also, I feel like uh, when you meet stand ups, you also meet a deep well of other types of creative people from that. Because like stand up comics all know other photographers graphic designers like people who do videography or sketches and all these other things it becomes like this big creative thing and it feels like stand-up is kind of the glue between it all yeah it could be i don't know i think it's just nice that it's it's like a thing you do in person yeah like i and people are like down to hang and people don't take themselves too seriously and um, it can be a, a lot when people are always trying to like land jokes when you're just trying to have a conversation and it's just like, come on, let's just hang out. Yeah. <laughs> that is annoying. But like when I did graphic design, it was like, it's like a lot of emailing people. Right. Looking at their work and it's very disconnected. Like most people I never met at all. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to see how important it is to just like physically show up for your show or physically just like be in front of someone and then you can gauge how they're like as a person um, you've you've officially used stand up comedy as a justification to eliminate work from home. <laughs> no. You'd be one of those managers. It's <laughs> like you know my time in stand up comedy. I love meeting people, so we're all back in the office now. Only voluntarily. <laughs> it only feels good because no one's forcing me to do it. Yeah. No, it's good. There's there's so many there's so many benefits socially to it. I feel like I feel like joining comedy and becoming a part of the comedy scene is just like it's like a third eye, like you know, like I was like, holy shit, I didn't know that you could live and just like have a bunch of friends that are all friends with each other in different ways. And like we all can work on stuff together. Like you can do projects together. Yeah. Like instead of like it's fun. I don't Why know, back not? back home and like I love all my friends who are non comics, obviously, but it's kinda like Oh, we hang out and we go for a hike. Oh, we hang out, we like play board games and like get drunk. Oh, we, me and you, we do this other thing. But instead, this is like, oh my God, there's, when we when we try to have small get togethers, we like, we have trouble making a list of 15 of our closest friends because there's just so many. Right, right. Yeah, because it's a community. So there's like some people you know better than others. Some people you won't see for a while, but then they show up. Mm-hmm. So it's like much bigger than just, just like, you know, those the sum of the individual ties yeah or whatever sometimes when i go to parties and there's like a bunch of non-comics there i'm like who found all of you <laughs> <laughs> okay but i also like i really you have to get audience people for your yep. shows so i like it's been fun to find different communities in the city for different for different interests mm-hmm. i'm part of this um this like it's kind of like an effective altruism. It's called the Rationalists, the New York Rationalists or something. They have a meetup today, actually. I'm going with Helen. Interesting. Later. But um, they have this like listserv. Actually, maybe you'd like it because they're kind of like, 
it's like hardcore utilitarian yes, stuff. Yes, kind of. Okay, but I, I went to, to this... do a podcast about this. What about what? Uh, about Sam Bankman Fried, the FTX yeah, guy, yeah. and how he was an effective yes. altruist. Yeah. So I all had a lot of friends who were into that in in college. Whoa. The EA, the EA community. <laughs> um, the but we went to this guy's apartment in Harlem, and he um has this like machine where it oh gosh i forget what it's called but it's like basically for people who like are depressed or like have ocd and they like haven't found success through like traditional methods and he's kind of diying this like therapy thing in his apartment where it's like a machine that looks like a dentist chair and you put on like a swim cap and you like zap your brain waves and and he just offers this to people for free and he's trying to write papers about it and stuff just like on he's the doing side. electroshock therapy no it's apartment. not electroshock <laughs> therapy i forget what it's called but i'll i'll send it i'll send it to you interesting so you're like yeah you should come to my shows if yes. I put the swim cap on when you come to my show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will say you uh, you are someone that's nice to book you because you will definitely show up with at least one other person. That's why you booked me. Woo. No, I mean, <laughs> we, we wanted to book you because we liked you. But no, uh, you. when you showed up with like, what, like six friends, uh, we were like, yes, <laughs> it's going to be a good show. Oh, I think that's because that was also the first show I ever did like show. Oh, that was your first first? Yeah. Oh wow. Because I, because also I tried to get like a submission tape for something. Too. Mm. That's two episodes in a row. Quitters of first show. I had Rowie on last week. Yeah. Y- yesterday in real time. Last week in podcast time. And uh, I, we were his first show too. Yes. Yes. No, it was <laughs> a lot of fun. So first show, how did you feel? Do we give you ten or do we just give you five? Do you remember? Dollars or minutes? Minutes. Because it was five for both. It was five for both. <laughs> you actually made money. That's good. A yes. lot of shows, no one got paid because we didn't make any money. But then one, there was like a couple of shows where everyone made like 15 bucks because oh. some, some random person would just donate like 80 bucks. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. So, but that one was good. I remember you doing like really well. Uh, well, because all my friends were there. Yeah. But it was still a good <laughs> set, you know? What uh, what was your next show after that that you got booked on? Oh, I don't remember. Don't remember? Yeah. Just a blur after that? I don't remember. I don't remember. So you recently, we we went to your show this week. You were on a cool PowerPoint show. Oh, my God. The next slideshow? That had been my dream for like many months. Really? Yes. And I went to the show before. Mm -hmm. It's a comedy PowerPoint show. And the host, Reed Kavner, has been hosting it for, I think, five years now. And it's every two months, a caveat. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it and thinking, like, this is awesome. I'm going to put on my font my font bit. Mm-hmm. So I had been working on it for much longer than, than, than I think other people because I was, again, over-preparing and f- afraid. So, do, so I remember you talking about wanting to do a PowerPoint yeah, like, comedy thing for a I while. I kept talking about it. And then it got to the point where I was like, I'm tired of just saying these words, font, comedy, PowerPoint, like together. Yeah. I'm tired of it. Did you, how, did you like hit him up to be on the show? How did, how'd you get I did, on that? Yeah. Okay. I did. I went to the, one of the previous ones mm-hmm. and I asked about it. And then I think someone that I knew, we had a mutual connection who was there too. And she, mm-hmm. She introduced us. Yeah, you you crushed that one. You did very Thank good. Thank you for coming. Well, the, it's because I was so prepared. Yeah, over, exactly. Over-prepared. I think it was the right. <laughs> it was like the right amount of preparation. Your your presentation 
I thought it was going to be more informative than it was, but it was no, like really funny. <laughs> there was like a couple, there was a couple like little things in there that was like, oh, this is a fun fact to know, fun fact, fun fact. Most yeah. of it was like jokes yeah. about that yeah. stuff and it worked really well. Yeah, because that the audience there is so self-selecting. It's like people who want to go to a PowerPoint show and it's like that venue there. They always have like science themed ones mm -hmm. and, and like history ones. So it's like a lot of the humor just comes from like, oh, I'm going to talk about Johannes Gutenberg in this, you know, comedy venue. And then mm -hmm. people just laugh because they want to sort of indicate they know who that is right right i remember when i talked to, this is my biggest regret at that show is like i mentioned johannes gutenberg i was like you guys know who that is and this woman like clo close to the front she was like yeah it's, 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 and i should have like <laughs> <laughs> talked to her because she was like jumping out of her chair <laughs> so it, i think it's just fun to like a lot of like stuff that works for that venue is like if you take a really kind of dry mm -hmm. knowledge thing and then you combine it with like a stupid thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's like a kind of silly formula that creates surprise. It worked out well. It definitely worked out well. I, I was thinking about it. I was like, should I could probably do a whole presentation about electromagnetics. Yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> and you know, I have talked about like doing some kind of a PowerPoint multimedia show because that like mm. format is really fun for me because then really you can lean into the visuals too. You know who's really good at that? Uh, Aaron Avalot Clemens and Gabby Jordan yeah. Brown. Yeah, they, someone was saying. When we used to do, when they used to do Zoom and Hathaway Presents, like every week they would have PowerPoint shows. They would have to do like PowerPoints. It's so much fun. They killed it. It was yes. amazing. I think it's, yeah, it's a really, it, it took some time for me to like figure out like the structure and mm -hmm. stuff or like the approach, but I would love to see what all of our friends would want to present on. What did you okay, so you know you know you wanted to do a PowerPoint thing. And did you pick fonts right away and like graphic design right away or were you like kind of yeah. unsure about topics? Just because I you know, I thought I want to lean into stuff that I care about. Right. And that I know a lot about. And it's just the incongruity of it. Like that's really dry and boring and mm -hmm. How could it be funny? Could it be funny? I don't know. Let's try to see if it could be funny. Mm. And just exploring that. And also thinking like, you know, in terms of like market logic, like what can I offer that other people can't? Mm -hmm. You know, trying to differentiate my product or whatever. Yeah. Um, because it is something that I like spent a lot of time, you know, reading about and learning about. I went to this, I went to this typography conference that my work paid for a couple months ago typographics and a lot of the talks were like very dry mm -hmm. and I think it helps for some topic that is inherently very dry to 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 try to meet the audience in the middle and like really lean in to trying to be funny and find, finding that balance obviously yeah the thing I did was more silly than informative yeah but it would absolutely crush a typography conference I don't know I don't know, but oh my gosh. So I at the conference, I met a bunch of type designers mm -hmm. and I met this type designer, David Jonathan Ross, who's like a, like a type celebrity. He has his own studio. You've probably used his typefaces before. Um, he's a really cool guy. And I told him about the the font comedy whatever bit. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, keep me updated. Um, and I sent it to him. And just the other day, he was like, 
you know, I watched your your little your little show, and you know, you crushed it. It was awesome. It was really charming. Wow. People loved it. And I was like, oh my god, my life is coming full circle. That <laughs> that David Jonathan Ross of DJR. It's okay. a studio. Look it up later. Okay. He's on Adobe Fonts. I don't know. Oh, really? He's um, he's a big deal. That's very cool. That's awesome. Yes, and I felt so. I don't know what the equivalent for you would be like. Whoever is the electromagnetic conductor, like uh, you know, you'd guy. have to bring back Nikola Tesla from the grave. Yes, something like that. Whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it just like for me felt really cool. It would be it would, for me. It would be the the creator of Mobile Suit Gundam finding my podcast and being like, "You guys did an excellent job reviewing yes, our new series." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like you know, those small wins, and then it. Because as a designer, I'm like, fine, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I tried to interface with him in any kind of meaningful way through, like, our work, like, it wouldn't, I would never have the opportunity to really do that. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But you get to add something special because you're a comedian. You're combining yeah. other parts of my that's my life. super dope. So I wanted to ask about developing these structure for the PowerPoint. Like what you said, you it took you a while to figure out the structure and what you wanted to do with it. What was kind of your process to getting to your end product? Because your end product is basically like what it was like informative bit joke per slide, right? Like one information, one joke, and that's like every single slide. Yeah, I think in the beginning, it just started out with a bunch of loose bits mm -hmm. that um, Caleb Clark actually helped me a lot in the beginning. Nice. And just like putting it down there, giving it some kind of physical form, which mm -hmm. helps if you have an idea. Because if it's just a vague idea, just like writing it down or just giving it like an image or something. Yeah. Just starting out. And then I tried different like bits and I thought like, how can I put it together? And I thought... You know, I had to, I read a lot of these design books. They're all very educational. And I had to teach myself a lot of stuff when I was learning about type. So, like, why not make it kind of like a, like a, like a lecture in, like, quiz format, you mm -hmm. know, which is pretty recognizable. And I thought the, the, the use of the quiz at the end was really, really a good choice because the crowd likes it, it, thinking to themselves which one is it yes and then, it's interactive yeah and then it's people who like value being smart and knowing stuff so they're like i gotta get it right or whatever <laughs> yeah I, it's uh, interactive yeah you know what i've been doing i've been missing that for my life i'm doing daily calculus problems no to, way like, make sure <laughs> yeah that's so funny i'm like what i'm six years almost six years out of college and i haven't done math what are you doing like integrals Excel. or something yeah yeah like integrals differential equations i'm just on this one website websites like mathopolis and they have a different That's calculus so problem every day so my I'm brother is taking calculus right now in high school and i picked up his like homework the other day and i was like i could do this and then i was like wait i have no idea <laughs> what the logarithm I've is anymore I, the basis of calculus, I understand very well, but I forgot all the little weird formulas. Yes, like yes. The, you know, the quotient rule, the product rule, and the, the yes, chain rule Yes, that's what he was stuff. doing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a... Uh, it's very nice to have those moments where I actually get it right. And I'm like, I am very smart. And I don't know. <laughs> I just I just stopped using like, math. So I'm like, I should know how to do math. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird thing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so fun. So now that the PowerPoint show is over, what do you wish you had done differently? Is there anything you would have changed? Oh, that's a good question. I think just 
just um like I said, reacting more to that lady mm. in the audience because she really like you should have seen she was like jumping out of her chair, right? Because <laughs> like I said, like the yeah. reason that I want to do this is to make connections with people and mm. like I want them to feel seen or whatever. So you had a chance to walk away from that presentation with net one friend, but you didn't take it. Or a friend or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, friend, whatever. I also term, think... Yeah, I always say friend doesn't mean anything anymore. I'm like, I made a friend. It's like I met someone for like 20 seconds on the train. <laughs> <and I'm> like, <laughs> but you're like, but also with that show, I know you're held to a strict 10 minute time limit so you probably when you were practicing your presentation made it like exactly 10 minutes right so not a lot of room for crowd yeah, work i think or? there would have been it, it's okay i think mm. if it's like around 10 but i think i was so in my head about like i have to do it right and i want to make a good impression on these people and you know i don't want to go over and stuff like that um talking honestly yeah talking to that that woman whoever she was um, but it was a good show. Another milestone happened at that show. My my friend, actually my former, my other former econ professor from Oberlin, mm -hmm. he's kind of like a creative mentor. We took an acting class together. Um, he came to the show and he brought a date. He brought his date there, which feels so great because it's like, what if people fall in love because of me? That would be amazing. <laughs> I want people to... Meet each other, like, you know, it's fun for me to, like, have my friends meet my other friends. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. You have a friend bring someone who is not yet your friend but could be your friend. Yes, and then I could get invited <laughs> to their wedding. Whoa. Right? Yeah. I just want, I don't, like, the community building part of it is very fun for me. Yeah. I think it's just my ego, though. Like, I want to be the reason why people do things. That's actually very cool. I'm, I'm experiencing that uh, in a very minor way for the first time in a while because like wobbly ladder mic was the only thing that felt like community building to me oh yeah absolutely uh two virgins a mix a little bit a little but bit. your podcast too this podcast a tiny bit my other podcast much more so because we actually get like listener mail on that one which is oh dope. that's really cool yeah <laughs> i got hate mail for the first time that's so. amazing yeah it was dumb it was really <laughs> stupid hate mail too what did it say uh so the first thing you need to know about the series we're reviewing, it's the first Mobile Suit Gundam series to ever have a female protagonist, okay? So it's the first one in this 50-year franchise that has a female protagonist. In the first episode, that female protagonist accidentally becomes married to the second female protagonist, all right? And it's like a whole, it's like a Game of Thrones political thing where whoever is the best duelist at the school or whatever gets to marry this girl. And it's all happens by accident so there's a lot of old guys who are very up in arms about like the woke politics of it oh, or whatever wow. and we had a guy write in and he just said uh just talking about identity politics is not a personality <gasps> which is hilarious because uh you know me oh yeah you're always <laughs> always going on about identity politics no, it's so funny and then the next line was and stop glorifying che, che guevara he killed homosexuals <gasps> So one, <laughs> hate mail guy, pick a lane. And two... Wait, what does Che have to do with anything? We So Che, we had a joke about Che Guevara that was like literally one line. Oh, like, okay. So it's like wild that, that someone was that upset. But it's also like, thank you for listening to enough of the episode yeah. to get to that joke, but not enough to be like... Because the whole thing, like identity politics. Too. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, Well, now you have a platform and now you're... 
the subject of controversy. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm, I have a platform. I only for, can aspire to be like that. It's very, it's very fun, especially when the listeners write in, because a lot of them like us and like our show a lot. But I have a platform of 120 anime nerds. That's amazing. And one of them hate me. That's so fun. <laughs> That's so cool. It's so cool. Gosh. So, but that's like, that's something that I'm uh, trying to figure out going forward is like community building stuff because just like it's so fulfilling and so rewarding. It is. I think. Uh, but you're lot... tapping into your interests. Yes. Which is what I tried to do with the font stuff. Yeah. And that would that got a bunch of people who came who wouldn't have gone to a comedy show otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like right. This people who I met in publishing, people who do like different kinds of design or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's more of a compelling reason to do something. If you see, if you'll feel seen by it. Right. You know, absolutely. I think this is, this is not an sh- episode about me, but to that point, the, like the Gundam podcast, what I think is working about it is as stand-up comedians, a lot of times we think like, Oh, the goal is to just become like stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. But what's neglected is the fact that if you get good at stand-up and comedy and hosting and being present, you can take those conversational skills to basically become like a micro-influencer in whatever other hobby you want because it you have that skill set yeah, to sure. talk to people and to like make things happen in real life. Like if you're a if you're a comedy show producer, you are like an inch away from just being a regular event planner, you know? And so you can use those oh, tools you, you learn mean. Yeah, yeah. to adapt. No, absolutely. And it's really valuable. And now that's kind of how I feel uh, like after doing comedy, every other type of public speaking feels like very easy now. It's a piece of cake. Which is great, I guess. I feel like when I when I meet people from my office, I've shared the story before on here, but like we literally went to a holiday party last year and I went around and was like, what up, what up, what up? gave everyone fist bumps and then realized like, oh no, this isn't a comedy thing. This is like a <laughs> work thing. That's funny. And because That's I work a... remotely, I'm, I don't see, I see all the comedians probably like 50 times more often than I've seen my coworkers. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, these guys are, these are handshake people. These are not fist yeah, bump people. Yeah, that's funny. You know? Handshakes. That's a good point. And I try to back off conversationally a lot in those situations because I feel like comedy the comedians, the conversation can just get so into riffing and like sure, or like what's your worst childhood trauma? Yeah. So now I, I'm like talking to these people. I'm like, oh yeah. So how's living in the New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> you got a trampoline in the backyard now. Yeah. For your kids. I wish. Um, I want an apartment big enough for a trampoline in New York City. That'd be great. That would be nice, wouldn't it? So, uh, with your so you are a little over a year into stand up, like a year and a couple months. Yeah, something like that. Do you still keep track of how many open mics you do? Not really. I haven't been going out as much. Did you hit a hundred though? Yeah, that was like my big goal. I think the number a hundred was the second time I was on the Two Virgins. Show. Oh, nice. Yes, <laughs> it's so me. I've already told you, but you guys have been a big part of my experience. You you guys support up-and-coming artists that's wonderful really appreciate that it means a lot we were very happy to do it and um i don't know the thing is here's my hot take about comedy shows the people who are getting booked all the time are already getting booked all the time like if you run an independent show you can book people who are not getting booked all the time and most of them will still deliver a good product you know so just book people who you (laughs) like and uh 
the big people who hit you up for spots. If you run a shitty bar show, it's like, just don't even bother most of the time. It's not worth it. I'd rather give my friends spots than give uh, yeah. any any single sure. fucking clown from L.A. a spot. Okay. We learned that lesson three times <laughs> and it was bad every single time. All right. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, yeah. I'm excited for what is going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'll, I do, I, I want to do, I have some goals. That was, was going to be next question. Yeah, PowerPoint stuff, more PowerPoint stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love if you talked about Gundam whatever it was again for like 10 minutes gundam might be i could i could do it but i i don't know because i know that's a big part of your life and i don't know what that's like at all it's just like it's just like a hobby it's just like i, I just watch anime sometimes. but like know? if someone like approaches something kind of you know trivial with like such intensity and seriousness i think a lot of humor can come out of that i'm yeah i i want to see that personally okay i do want to see that That's so powerpoint fair. stuff would be cool more stuff with like music or multimedia like i wanting wanting shows to be a good time for for people like mm-hmm. i um in college was in this like really cool it's like a steel pan steel drum band <laughs> and so um but there's a huge steel pan community in new york and brooklyn like in in, in crown heights flatbush there's a lot of like Oh, that makes um, sense. Trinidadian makes sense. West yeah, yeah. Indian immigrants there. And I got to play in one summer every year. They do like this, it's called a panorama. It's like a steel band competition. So these bands, each band has like a hundred different people or more than a hundred people. And they're on stage and it's like a wall of sound and the whole thing goes on for like six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like an amazing community. And the, you know, the music, there's so much energy dancing, whatever, the whole night. It would be really cool to have like, you know, there's like music shows and comedy shows, like steel pan comedy, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know, because I want to bring these communities together, and I want people to know about how cool this instrument is and how cool the culture is. So yeah. that's one thing, like more music or multimedia, more variety. Ver- show. Yes, variety. That's the word. I think the variety show is like I was talking about this with Sam Schaefer. It's like the variety show. I think is like the 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 best comedy show yes. format because comedy is so much better. If you are following like a musician or something. Yeah, absolutely. Like, couple comics, some music, couple more comics, maybe a sketch or an improv team or something. Sure, like you shake yeah. it up. Everyone has fun. The audience loves it. Yeah, because there's so many shows. I just like, I don't want to just produce a show just to put on a show. Like I want to be really in, really intentional about like, like why I'm doing this and mm. who I want there. And like I want people to like have fun you know i'm not just gonna put on like some show just to get stage time or or like in my friend spots or whatever i want there to be like a really good reason and i want it to offer something that other shows don't have because otherwise like yes and friendship (laughs) exactly friendship that'll be the big selling point so shows and more writing i think Mm -hmm. what's your writing process like um i Oh, I want to do more writing for maybe submitting to those like satire like magazines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think with the written humor, you can you have more leeway to like get really specific. Because if you're just like in a crowd mm-hmm. of like twenty people, you have to maybe be more general because not everyone's gonna understand your references. I, my favorite, I saw this piece on McSweeney's, okay. which is like my favorite piece on there, and it was like. Uh, what was it exactly? It was like uh, playing through like all six volumes of uh, Proust uh, in search of lost time as if you were in like 
Luigi Yoshi character, something like that. And it was just combining those two things, mm. which is like, you know, it's a book that, you know, is notoriously very dense and like hard to get through and dry. And then you have like a pop culture reference. Um, mm. But it's more like, oh, ha, like for like the people who are really into, who are like plugged into the literary world, like, oh, this reference is so surprising and I get it. Ha, ha, ha. like I'm in on the joke. Gotcha. So you think like uh, satire is a good way to like really get something super specific out there? Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah. Like see what I what I can mind that's like really obscure and see like who else that might reach. Satire is like really fun to write. Yeah. Um, the the writer of that article, I'll send it to you. He said something like, you know, a good piece of advice I have for writing a satire piece is like like really get as specific as possible and like he said he knew it was a good piece because he he was like I can't imagine who the target audience audience might be like <laughs> like it's so specific that that it might reach more people you know what I mean it's kind mm -hmm. of counterintuitive in that way I wrote one that I never sent anywhere I when I used to write for jump kick or I still I don't I haven't written in a while, but I used to do some satire for them. And I wrote this one separately. And the the headline is just humans, not in this subsector of the quadrangle. <laughs> yes, and it's exactly. Just, it's just like about like astral beings and their nimbyism. Yeah, but... exactly. <laughs> yes. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It just I, I love it when people get really like absurd. Yeah. And I feel like satire, just something about it. It just makes my brain so happy. Like every time I see like a McSweeney's or a Doctor's or an Onion headline or Hard Times, anything like that, it's just like nice. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> and I think with stuff like that or like the one I mentioned, it's so satisfying to like once you have a good, like a high level concept is that is very strong, um, like a pairing of two things that don't really go together. Mm -hmm. Then it's just like there's something about just like. Uh, like playing it out that's very formulaic and very systematic mm -hmm. um, that appeals to like that part of my brain. Mm. Yeah. Like the structure. Yeah. Like once you have that idea, just like filling in the gaps is kind of like um, soothing and fun, even though it can be repetitive. Are you going to copy other people's writing? Get the structure down? You going to do your Maybe. I mean, so, I mean, I have don't you, know. Have you researched satire yet? Have you like gotten into it i mean a lot of it is just like reading it to see yeah. what other people have done just to get a sense of like you know who the target audience is right right like, right like what forms that people use and you know word count and mm -hmm. and tone and things like that because um it helps to like understand the publication before you pitch it i think i'm imagining headlines that you're gonna write like so you think you can get away with that kerning <laughs> so you want to be italicized yeah, yeah. stuff like that right I <laughs> maybe I've, I've tried to do crowd work where i'm like anybody know what kerning is i don't know i'm curious kerning is this one right yes it is but it's in between the individual letters between the letters yes but if it's as a whole it's called tracking tracking is between the words or just no tracking is like if you do it systematically across the whole word. Kerning is just in between individual letters. Oh, okay. So if you have like an A and a V, you usually need to kern them negatively. But just between the two letters. Okay, gotcha, but not the whole word. Okay. Yes. That's 
an effect I will never use, but it's good. It's good to know. <laughs> Listen, I've designed some bad show flyers in Adobe Illustrator, okay? I know I know some little text controls. <laughs> yeah, it's everybody yep. It's a good skill to have, I guess. It is. I honestly want to get more into like graphic design stuff because I'm I love stickers and I want to design stickers for podcasts and stuff and I don't know. I always love making logos for things, but all of mine are like very very mid because they're limited by my skill set. <laughs> it's 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 fun. it's just it's just it's about having fun, you know. Yeah. Whatever. Learning learning to do fun stuff with very expensive software. That's right. It is expensive. <laughs> so, within comedy, what are um what are your long-term goals? Just to get more into like doing other stuff or like, cause you kind of mentioned some short-term goals to try out in like the long, long game. If you I, got to like design yeah. your future in comedy, what would you do? I think, I think really trying to lean into writing humor. Mm -hmm. I think that's fun for me. Um, like, I, I'm gonna start trying to write those like late night packets i think it's a good way to just learn how to write a joke mm -hmm. and there's something about like the formulaic nature of that that appeals to me mm -hmm. and also like i like feeling adjacent to news and things that feel like they have like higher stakes mm. um because i i do like the balance of like you know information and somebody learning something about the world and then like you know something lighthearted to tie together i think that's a fun balance to be in writing um just exploring what the writing thing could be for me mm -hmm. i would love to have a career like gary steingart okay the, the novelist you know him mm. he, he actually went to my college but he like writes a lot of like satirical fiction mm -hmm. but he also writes like s screenplays for a t like he's been a tv writer too i think he wrote on like succession or something mm -hmm. um and he's like clearly like a very well-read, like educated guy, and he like treats you know serious topics with like snarkiness and in, in a very clever way. Mm. Like in two years, you're like Gary Steingar read one of my articles. Can you uh, believe it? No, that would uh, <laughs> that'd be amazing. I haven't I've been meaning to get around to late night like type writing like writing packet stuff. Every time I meet someone who has access to writing packets i'm like will you send me one they're like of course and they don't and i'm like what do you mean has access to because what the, what the way it works is when a writer leaves they need to fill that spot so mm -hmm. they give everyone else on the team a packet and say send this to whoever you think might be good and it's oh, like, a, like the guidelines it's like a limited application I basically see. and yeah so i want to i just like every time i've asked for one they just people are just like hey i'll get you one and they just never do and i'm like okay i don't want to bug you but I, I just even if this isn't serious i want to write it for practice yeah, and yeah, to see yeah, what's yeah. up what kind of prompts these are who was it It was uh i think i was talking to was it chase shanahan the other day and he was saying that like he basically goes in the associated press every day and tries to write like three to ten jokes about the news in there yeah which is i think an excellent daily writing i think activity. it is that's the thing about these kind of creative jobs is like you if you're gonna get hired for it, you need to already be doing that thing. Yeah. Yeah. The same with, with design, like, you know, I had to show them stuff. So that's like such a hard 
like a barrier in a way because it's like I have to put on this free work to learn this skill that I might not you know get the job for. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, having a TV credit is totally worth it in the stand-up scene. Uh, <laughs> you get jump kick. Yeah, you want? Yeah, I got jump kick. I I'm on stage as the guy who has three podcasts. Oh, and that too. <laughs> create your own platform. Why not? Yeah, create your own platform. Create your own credits. People love that. But no, if you write for a late night show or something, you get booked. Yeah, you just get booked sure. on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm it's it's so much of doing stand up has just been learning how the industry works. Yeah. Um and it's been just out of personal curiosity interesting to me. It's fascinating. It's also very intimidating, I feel like. Even even being in it, I still feel like a little worm compared a to little like little worm like the potential you no, know no but you've been doing it enough you know enough people and so much of it is just knowing enough people too or meeting people that you like and get along with it says the person who was like i'm starting this to make friends you're like if i collect enough pokemon i surely don't <laughs> i surely will make something out of this yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's been fun it's been great do you have any hot takes on comedy Do I have any hot takes? Maybe hey. we don't have time to get into this, but like, I've just been thinking about how how gendered humor is, mm. like the function of laughter. Okay. Like, get into it. Like I was overhearing these guy comics, and I've hear I've heard people say stuff like this before. They were they were just saying like, oh, you know. This guy came over and I've been seeing this girl and, you know, my I went to my roommate's house and they were all like trying to, they were all trying to make her laugh. I don't know. And it's like this weird possessiveness where like making a dude making women laugh is a sign of power and it's, mm -hmm. or like sometimes guys will be like talking about how people, the audience members will like, they'll sleep with these women because they do really well on a show and stuff mm -hmm. like that and it, um, there's something weird and gendered about that that I don't really understand. Like, I guess humor serves a different function for men than it does for women. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels like more necessary in a way. I don't know. I don't like it sometimes. Yeah. It's weird. I read an article once that was talking about how evolutionarily men use humor in order to determine personality matches for potential mates. And that was like a a develop like a reason why they developed it so if like a woman laughs at your jokes right. all the time you're like oh we yeah share a lot right in common. yeah yeah i did read you probably heard this too but you know everyone says that they're looking for someone with a good sense of humor and then they tried to ask men and women like what that meant to them mm -hmm. and for men they were like i want someone that'll laugh at my jokes and women were like i want someone that'll be funny yeah um Kind of interesting. I'll think about it. My hot take is I hate men. <laughs> Just kidding. They're giving me a platform. I'm writing a joke right now. I'm working on it about how um, every joke that's I hate men is uh, honestly uh, kind of hilarious because you're doing a disservice by calling dudes men it's like you don't hate men you just hate some guy that's that hurt you feeling. Calling him a man is actually quite a compliment. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's really funny. There's something to it because uh, there's a lot of shitty fellas, a lot of shitty dudes, a lot of shitty guys. I mean, like, I hate men as being like, I hate the best of you because surely <laughs> you're the best you, of them, right? Yeah, legitimizing <laughs> who they are. Yeah, maybe. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of differences in what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do based on your gender and your humor on stage or like perceived as allowed to do. I don't know. Definitely an interesting thing to think about. So your hot take is men bad. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to throw in here before I wrap this thing up? Mm. It's been a lot of fun. It it feels really meaningful to be on this podcast and like meet everybody, even though I'm just a little worm and nothing I say matters. <laughs> Um, but I'm really excited to like try out different things, see what works, see what kind of community that we can build. Mm -hmm. um, I'm oh, I'm gonna meet with Lee, your wife, my wife, your wife, my wife. <laughs> Stop it! To produce the the Asian female show, the yeah. Lichi Martini show, and I think like next year it'd be really fun to like lean into it and like see how much fun we could have and what we could try and you know who we could reach, whatever. Yeah, I think honestly that show, uh, both times has been an absolute banger, and oh, uh, I'm glad. I am very excited for more of it to be produced, because um, it's just it's a great idea, and there yeah. there is a lot of female Asian comics, so it's not like you're gonna exhaust your resources too quickly. And there's always repeats, but yeah, it's and, good. And again, like just leaning into specificity. Yes, like a show like that is much easier to market because it has a very specific concept and then someone will have an idea of what to expect yeah because otherwise you know there's so many comedy shows that are just like hey a show you know like but who's gonna be there what what's it gonna be like you know you know what are they gonna talk about it's i think it's much easier to to reach the people that you want to reach yeah that was the issue we were having with two virgins at the end is we we're like like who's our audience? Yeah, like, we don't right? have a real audience. This is just a comedy show that you can wander into. Mm -hmm. Like that's it, you know. But something like that where it's like this is a comedy show for these people. Yeah, and then it's about making people like feel seen because I do think like for Asian young Asian Americans that, that there's like a desire to like to to be um shaping narratives of ourselves or mm -hmm. like like having media that that reflects your interests or whatever um there there's a thirst for that i think mm. yeah and it's fun whatever it is fun producing a good show rules it's uh the best have you have you produced a show yet no oh boy okay well <laughs> This is a good one. Lee is really good to work with. Yeah, she's awesome. Your wife. My wife. My wife. <laughs> <Stop. is> very, <laughs> very anymore. dope. <laughs> what else? Oh, yeah. Another thing I want to try. Sousaphone tuba comedy. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Wouldn't that. Wouldn't that be yeah. funny? <laughs> like if I, I have to get a sousaphone first. But what if it was like I had it and then I was talking about something stupid like the stock, the, the Dow Jones went down two points and civil war rages on in Yemen and I'll be like da -na, da -na, da -na, da -na. <laughs> I don't know it's so stupid anyway the just the idea of you being like at a comedy show and someone introduces like brings you up on stage the walkout with yes, the tuba exactly is it's, it's gonna just kill such an inherently absurd <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because like 
like it's like almost like the amount of effort you put into that or the amount of preparation is like people are going to recognize that because they're they're like this is such a low stakes show but the fact that someone like learned how to play this and obtained one and showed up with it yeah for like three people it's just <laughs> it's just, just so, so absurd that's how i feel about like all matt and jack's bits yes exactly it's like the they're they they're going all in yeah. for the payoff and <laughs> and it usually has a big payoff yeah. because of it because people appreciate that all the props all the coordination so much so okay funny. well we're at our time Final question. Andrea, what do you love about stand-up comedy? What do I love? Just having a the the license to say whatever you want. Mm. Right. Interesting. Um, you don't seem like a say whatever you want type of person. Not like that. <laughs> not like, that. like just stupid stuff. <laughs> um and I think getting to go to places that I wouldn't have gone before, meeting people I wouldn't have met, either who do it or especially like in the audience. Like I think, yeah, talking to strangers has always been really fun. Um just just the the human the human connection part. Mm -hmm. Right? Nice. Hell yeah. Awesome. Well thank you so much for coming on. This is a fun episode. It was yeah. really good talking to you. This was fun. Where can the people find you? Oh, um, my Instagram is Andrea J W underscore, and the picture is of like a big blue Japanese mascot character. And then my she's impossible to find. No, <laughs> the, I had to put the underscore on. And then my my graphic design website, Andrea J W dot com. If you need a freelance project done. And oh, the the Asian show is Lychee Martini Comedy. Lychee underscore Martini underscore Comedy. And she runs that with my wife. With his uh, wife. With my wife. Stop. Uh, <laughs> so guys, check out Andrea. Follow her everywhere. Get her to freelance some work for you. Uh, go to her comedy shows. Um, be an icon in one of her specific interests and go to her comedy show. She'll appreciate that. Uh, and guys, thank you so much for listening and watching. Subscribe on YouTube. Leave a comment or something. Leave some hate mail for Andrea. Uh, I haven't that, gotten it yet. <laughs> I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.